Welcome to this special episode of Movie Geeks United. As the United States is knee-deep in presidential politics, we thought it would be a good idea to delve into the genre of the political film. And who better to join us in this discussion than one of our favorite guests, our great friend and film critic, Tony Macklin. You can find Tony's insightful film criticism and his revealing interviews with many of the Silver Screen's legendary figures at TonyMacklin.net. I was trying to think about what other source I might use to bring some sanity into the madness as well as, as the films. And, of course, I, I thought of Mark Twain. And I came up with several quotes that he had about politics that I think are, are relevant. First, he said, and this is Mark Twain writing, Suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress. But then I repeat myself. Second Twain quote was, God created war so that Americans would learn geography. And then thirdly, for our friends on the right, conservatism is the blind and fear-filled worship of dead radicals, which I like. And the fourth quote, a half-truth is the most cowardly of lies. And Mark Twain, my fifth quote that I, I glean from him. And I think he would allow us to update it to, instead of using newspapers, to use TV and the Internet to substitute that for newspapers. He said, Mark Twain said, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you read the newspaper, you're misinformed. Um. <laughs> what newspapers and magazines did you regularly read before you were tapped for this to stay informed and to understand? I've read most of them, again, with a great appreciation for the press, for the media. What I mean, specifically, I'm curious. Um, all of them, any of them that have been in front of me over all these years. I have a, Oh my a God, what have we done? Last year, I think it was, when I spoke to Ben Mankiewicz, who's one of the hosts of Turner Classic Movies, he sure. has a lineage uh, in both classic Hollywood and politics. So an obvious question was, what do you think of the current state of the political film? And he says, oh, I think political films are doing very well, uh, which shocked me be yeah. because I think it's a genre that's all but disappeared. Absolutely, absolutely. When you said that, I'm thinking... Well, there was Game Change, <laughs> the made-for-television for HBO, right. and uh, you can go. I, I have all this stuff that I've been thinking about. I mean, you can go. The tradition is very slight to begin with. The state of politics, politics is so false. It's so, I really think the system is inept, is totally inept. And so what, what the films do, what you hope that the films can do, is in this political wasteland, they can bring in some kind of light, an occasional beam of, of, of light that, that enlightens, that teaches us, that instructs us, that, that makes us feel human in a world because politics dehumanizes. It takes away so much of the best of culture, the best of society. And when we talk about films, when, when Ben Mankiewicz said the, the political film is alive today, 
and, and active, I don't see it. I, I was mentioning to you before about game change. That, that, that was pitch perfect. But can you think of another film? I mean, I guess so many of the films, of the best films, are socio-political. But they aren't political films. Robert Redford is supposed to be this card-carrying liberal. He's directed three films, and they all were rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. The Lions into Lambs was 27. The Conspirator was, uh, I think, 55. And The Company We Keep was 54. And you think this man should money where his mouth is. He's done good for independent films, but he has not at all, a man of his supposed liberalism, has not at all affected the world of, 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 uh, of film, of the nature of films that he directed. Not Sorry, I went, went on so no, so. I mean, he, he hasn't in the past 40 years, I would yeah. say. I mean, and, the uh, candidate, and, candidate and President's Men, I mean, th- those are two shining examples of the best of that genre. But uh, now he's starring in Pete's Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the other thing is uh, those films weren't his. Michael Ritchie directed one, and Michael Ritchie directed him in both the Downhill Racer and the right. Candidate. And I but thought, they were pro- well, they the, were projects he he nurtured. I mean, this project yeah, and, but, because but, of but here, here's the problem with Redford as a problem with when they become celebrities. Uh, when he did the way we were, that was in a sense the end of him being a person that took real chances. Because at, in in the two earlier films, that he, the Michael Ritchie films, he had played played this empty character, and I thought, oh, what a what a bold thing! He shows emptiness and shallowness, and and he's superficial. But once he became a star and a celebrity, you can see that all the time. But l- l- let me tell you what my answer was to Mankiewicz, because this okay. ties right into it. I I told him. He said, well, what do you think of the political film today? And I said, I don't think that it's possible to make them uh, because everything's so focus-grouped and nitpicked to death. They want to appeal to as many people as possible that the second you make a political film, you're automatically alienating half, half the audience. <laughs> and, and that's not a money-making venture for them. No, and exactly. He didn't, he didn't see the value of that argument. He said, I think that's silly. Like, like the studio is not going to make a movie because it, it will only reach twenty million and not forty million. And I said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> what what world is he from? I mean, he, I no absolutely. I mean, he's he's good at what he does, but he's not he's not a creative, unique, original thinker in in any way. Um, and I I would have said to him, name three, and he couldn't have he couldn't have yeah. named three. And so you yeah. would have not won your argument, but you would have destroyed his. I mean, okay. I, I'd like to mention one film, cause, and I think I mentioned it to you in an email. Sure. When I'm thinking about the current political climate, the, the movie I think about most is The Face in the Crowd, which is the Kazan film with Andy Griffith. Listen, I'm not through yet. You know what's going to happen to me? Suppose I tell you exactly what's going to happen to you. You're going to be back in television. Only it won't be quite the same as it was before. There'll be a reasonable cooling-off period, and then somebody will say, why don't we try them again in an inexpensive format? 
people's memories aren't too long. And you know, in a way, he'll be right. Some of the people forget and some of them won't. Oh, you'll have a show. Maybe not the best hour or in the top 10, maybe not even in the top 35. But you'll have a show. Just won't be quite the same as it was before. And a couple of new fellas will come along, and pretty soon a lot of your fans will be flocking around them. And then one day somebody will ask, whatever happened to, uh, what's his name? Because there, there was a guy plucked from obscurity, uh, thrown into the, the political stage, uh, completely uh, ill-prepared for it, but he was kind of a, an ugly person, and the and the the concept of having power made him uglier, and yes. so it really accentuates that the being a politician in today's landscape it, it really accentuates your character flaws. <laughs> well, uh, that's one of my top ten or eleven. And that is the image becomes reality. I mean, behind the scenes, he's saying the the public is, is fools. He doesn't use fools, but he's just completely demeaning of them. And he's a good old boy who becomes egotistical. And that's another thing, that egos are just so rampant today that nothing stops them. A fact just gets over just gets overwhelmed by ego. Ego doesn't pay any attention to facts, any attention to evidence, any attention to to science, any attention to grace or humanity or communication. Ego is is the beast that is devoured or and is is in the process of devouring and spitting out politics, and we're left with the the upchuck of the beast. I mean, it's, 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 I agree with you, but that, there, there, that, that was one of the things about that a political film can do is it can show here is the image and the reality is completely different because the image is out there, people responding to, to the image. I have two other films in that, in that grouping, in that characterization. The candidate was one with Robert Redford, and that's really a good film. Um, but it, it was image, and it, it, it's a film about image, um, and they promote, they sell, and it works. And the other one that perhaps might remind us a little bit of, of 2016 is the film that won the Oscar in 1949 and won a uh, Best Actor Oscar for Broderick Crawford, All the King's Men, which is a literary work by Robert Penn Warren, was made into a film. Warren based Willie Stark on Huey Long, who was a populist in Louisiana and eventually assassinated. And that is a great novel. But those three I can think of, that the film of the writing, and all, all were brilliantly written, the, the the film exposed the difference between the facade, the 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 cover, the whatever prevented us from seeing the truth, and we were able to penetrate it. So there, that there, that's one thing that a political film can do, and it does it can do it very well. 
when we're talking about something like uh, a face in the crowd about the which speaks to the cor- cor- corrupting nature of power, and then we contrast that with the candidate. The candidate is a little different because he he is an idealist. He's terribly uncomfortable selling out. Where, where is he by the end of that film? By the end of the film, he's he's back being the empty man. He says, what's next? And there's nothing next. He is a politician who has run for office, and there's, no, there's, no, there, there's nothing next. We've completely ignored the fact that this is a society divided by fear, hatred, and violence. And until we talk about just what this society really is, then I don't know how we're going to change it. For example, we haven't discussed the rot that destroys our cities. We have all the resources we need to check it, and we don't use them. And we haven't discussed why not. We haven't discussed race in this country. We haven't discussed poverty. In short, we haven't discussed any of the sicknesses that may yet send this country up in flames. And we better do it. We'd better get it out in the open and confront it before it's too late. Here's a question for you, and I think it comes with this and with a lot of films. What what do they have in common, the majority of them have in common, um, the political films? What What is it that they have in common? How many political films end negatively? Um, mm. Film yeah. after film after film, the process takes over the humanity, and at the end... It is. It has run its course and is is has, has fallen. Is is futile. Even even a film that treats nostalgia. There were two films that, and maybe this is only one one of the few that really was the populist anthem and the very uh, very upbeat feel good film. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Frank. Capra's film in '39, which was a year of so many great, great films. Um, one of the interesting things about that film, that I find interesting at least, is that it was about politics, but it left out one of the things that has corrupted, or has at least had an, a tremendous effect. It left out religion. Uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington is about idealism and about spirituality, but it is not about religion. That kind, if you did populism today and were tried to try to be true to it, you'd have to include a, a major dose of religiosity. The other film is one of my favorite Ford films, The Last Hurrah with Spencer Tracy in 1958. It's a nostalgia for old-time politics. Now, old-time politics was corrupt, but it was personal. At least there was a humanity to it, and it, it seems like it's, it's a time gone forever. And at the end of the film, even though the character is, I'm giving it away, but he's dying, um, and, and his time is gone, never to, never to be seen again. And there's a sense of loss for a system that was contrived, rigged, but at least had humanity somehow in it, and at least had some kind of uh, 
of meaning and grace and and I think Ford is looking at his world too. His world is coming to an end as Frank Skiffington's. A, a, a great subsection of political movies are uh, satirical, and I, I'm thinking of Doctor Strange, Lover, Wag the Dog. But when we look at our political system today, they, they seem closer to documentary than satire. Is it possible? Is it possible to make a satire about politics anymore, or or does the real thing kind of out crazy anything we can manufacture fictionally? When people say, oh, it's a true story, I say, yes, but it's a true story, but was it told truly? And if you had talented people making a satire with talented script and a talented director and talented actors, and a one, they, they, of course you could make something creative. You could make something original because you would not just go tried and true Oh, here's the here's the the quality that people want to see. I think there could be a, wonderful satires, and in fact, some of the some of the pundits on television, the comics on television, are still able to make humor out of the the, the great absurdity that overwhelms the the political system. So, no, I think I think it's a, it's a question of talent, but maybe even more. Or as much, it's also a question of will. That you have the will to satirize. Now the problem is that 75, 70% of the audience probably won't understand it. But you can make it entertaining. You can make it funny. You can make it engaging. There are there are ways around it. But so yes, we live in a world that's madness. But but that doesn't that does that hasn't yet denied the potentiality for creativity. Creativity still uh, still is alive. And I think that's what keeps you and me and Sean Ash and all the rest of us going, that we believe in creativity. We believe in people with talent and original minds and people who take risks and have a vision and have a vision that isn't necessarily going to be dismissed by other factors. The vision is, is true. Well, I look at something like uh, one of my favorite movies, which is Being There. And yes. Being There, uh, about a, uh, a, a dim-witted guy that falls into the world of politics, he honestly doesn't know what the hell is going on. But anything that comes out of his mouth, people say, oh, he's a straight shooter, I, you know. <laughs> And look at what we're living with. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a different dynamic, kind of watching that movie. It's still, it's still but, a fantastic but, movie. But. but it comes from a great novel, and it was it was uh, wonderfully cast. Peter Sellers was terrific. Melvin Douglas, um, um, Charlotte McLean. It, it, it was just, it was it was just so well done. I have two more categories here. One is films that come from actuality, political films. And I'm just paying. I'm just. I'm just uh, being a ladder, a little snooty here. Um, we'll go back to 1925 and Russia and Mother Russia. 
but then but then because Trump is a fan is a fan of Putin, Mother Russia is okay today. Uh, Battleship Potemkin was a political film which had such a strong, moving style. And then another film that came out in 1966, we've talked about this before, being fired because I picked it for a film series, and I think um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz may have been in the audience that night because uh, it was Battle of Algiers, which Tim Robbins put on one of his 10 all-time films, not just political films, but it's visceral. You may not agree with the vision, but you don't have to agree with the vision. We, we are in such, such a myopic, compartmentalized, tribal world culture. You see, I am so glad that you called me because I haven't had this depression in my life for weeks, maybe months. I made no campaign promises because until a few weeks ago, I had no hope of being elected. <laughs> now, however, I have something more than a hope. And Jim Geddes, Jim Geddes has something less than a chance. <laughs> We're talking about uh, the power, the power corrupting uh, that subgenre. I, I mean, Citizen Kane stands at the top of that as well. I mean, uh, I mean that belongs in any discussion of that theme. I think it's 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 sociopolitical. Certainly, the yeah. politics. He runs for political office. He he owns a newspaper, uh, a string of newspapers. He he is he has this gigantic ego. And he is also, beings are want to be, seeking love. I mean, it really mm-hmm. is a film about a, a, a lifelong search for love and lost love. Um, why don't you talk about All the President's Men for a minute? Here's another actuality based on film. Yeah, I mean, my favorite subgenre of film is the political conspiracy thriller and uh, <laughs> I mean, Parallax pres- View. Uh, a Parallax View. Love Parallax View. But but uh, all the president. But all the president's men. I mean, since you brought up all the president's men, uh, it, that movie amazes me. It, it, it amazes me because it should not be as engrossing as it as it is. It it's essentially uh, a, a movie about people on the phone. Uh, and knocking on doors, eighty percent of the film. <laughs> and I'll be damned if that if if that movie isn't one of the most engrossing viewing experiences. Either time and time again, it's one of those that I, I I can't turn off. If a movie ever had a set as one of its major characters, the newsroom in all the president's men is that is that movie, because yeah. that newsroom is the set. It's where the pulse is. It's where Everything has to come for study and reconsideration, and it's where the vitality and the energy flow from. It's one of the great workplace movies ever made. I mean, yes. politics aside, uh, which I, I love those kinds of movies, too. Now, I have the top three of my list, okay. and they're all absurd. They all end, I was saying earlier, that what do political films 
so often have in common, well, they end negatively. They end in, end in futility or failure or loss. And these three end in absurdity. And third is probably one of those films that now is almost forgotten and and very, very underrated, Robert Altman's Nashville, which yes. came out in 1975. And it ends with the singer being assassinated. And that is uh, a, a very, very uh, a symbolic scene. Um, but the, the terrible absurdity at the end of Nashville is, is indelible. I think the one filmmaker that could that could make the greatest film about the political climate today, if he were still living, is Altman. I, I miss that movie. I think, he, I think he'd make something like that. Yeah, I guess he would. I guess he would. He was an artist, and he was uh, plugged into social mores, and uh, he was a satirist. He was an iconoclast at basis. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I miss Bob a lot uh, because I, I do think he made films, especially in the 70s, that were probably as personal as films have ever been made, uh, uh, or not as, as, as you've ever been made. Maybe popular films that are as personal as have ever been made. My second yeah. on the list of absurdity and paranoia is Manchurian Candidate. <coughs> Manchurian mm-hmm. Candidate that was directed by John Frankenheimer. And I interviewed Frankenheimer. He's dead now, and I think his wife uh, is dead, Sue. So I can tell you that in the, in the other room was his mistress. <laughs> but it was a very good interview, however. Uh, <laughs> so he, he, uh, it's a film about manipulation and a film um, – that ends, I, th- I think the Sinatra character just says at the end, I think the last word is hell. And just hell. That's all that's left. This, mm. this loss and the system has been destroyed. Um, and there's a really good scene when I was talking to Richard Silbert, who is the set designer. Of the, um, the that it, There's a, a liberal and... Lawrence Harvey is is programmed to kill him. And he's an old man. And he's standing there with a, a, a carton of milk. And he shoots him through the milk of, and, and kills him through the carton of milk. And so that's milky liberalism. That, uh, it, it was really nice, the, the way it worked. And then before we, we, before we, before they, they come and get me, um, my absurd film of all time is our man, Stanley, uh, Dr. Strangelove. Absolutely. Yeah. The world ends with Vera Lynn saying, we'll meet again as the mushroom clouds go off. And uh, we'll meet again in Trump Tower. <laughs> again don't know where don't know when but I know we'll 
I know 